Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Like, I didn't even know she's basically like female Jim Thorpe, kind of. Like, she's... Oh, yeah, dude. They, there are comparisons directly to her in newspapers from people she knew that say, you know, yes, Jim Thorpe is the greatest athlete of all time. But, <laughs> you know, she can do some things better than Jim. You know, I mean, seriously. These are the tales of golf past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending historic rounds, on and off course moments, memories of personal catastrophe and elation, and yes, alcohol. I'm Jer. I'm Proy. I'm Joe. And I'm Migs. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the Lynx Stories. Hey, I'm Oz Davis. I'm happy to be here on this podcast. My liver is steel to tell you the story of Babe Dietrichson Saharius, a world-class athlete in track and field, baseball, golf, basketball. So why have you never heard of her? Okay, it's a multifaceted question because, of course, she was a multifaceted athlete. Okay. One of the things that you learn when you start doing sports history, especially if you look at the 20th century, and let's face it, the 20th century is the golden age for sports. If you're going to look at humanity in general, there's no question. Absolutely no question. This is a unique point in our history, 20th and now the 21st century. Okay. Coming from the Aztec fan. <laughs> no, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, the Aztec is central to one culture. And, uh, well, actually, the ball games were in several cultures, but let's not get into Mesoamerica right now. Um, in the 20th century, many, many things happen. Okay. Of course, in the late 19th century, this is the organization of games. Okay. Which is something that we take for granted. We think that somebody invented golf in 15 whatever and then everybody started playing the exact same way everywhere we all agreed on rules. no 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 it took a conscious effort on some people beginning with stuff like cricket and football because the british imagine that were particularly obsessed with codifying and making everything tidy in sports okay that's the first thing that happens in the 20th century now before World War II in North American sports, and even in European sports to some extent, is well different than afterwards. When you ask the average person today, hey, how about baseball? You know, like, how'd you like that game last night? They'll talk to you about their favorite major league team. But the truth is, picture yourself in America, in, in, say you're in like California in 1939, Say you're in San Francisco and you've got on your local team, you've got a couple of ball players named Joe DiMaggio and Vince DiMaggio. Okay. Now you have almost no access to the nearest major league team. Your Pacific coast league 
is full of guys who, for one reason or another, aren't going to make a 1,500-mile train trip to try out for some major league team. What team are you going to follow? You're going to follow the San Francisco Seals, okay? You're going to follow them. All right, let's say it's 1928 and you're in Dubuque, Iowa. All right, what's the best game you're ever going to see in your life live? I'll tell you what. It's when a bunch of Negro League barnstormers come in and they take on the best players from the county. That's the best game you're going to see in your life. That's when you're going to see all-stars. That's when you're going to see GOAT-level athletes, okay? So, Babe starts her career in this kind of atmosphere, all right? When she starts, her first sport is basketball. Now, at that time in America, especially for women's athletics, but also to a great extent, men's um, the AAU is the prime power. Nowadays, we think of the AAU as like this breeding ground for basketball players. Okay. But right, back in the right. day, it was way, way, way more. Okay. It was, I mean, basically the situation was this. Most people didn't go to college. Okay. And nearly no women went to college. Okay. So what you would do is the equivalent of your, uh, your workplace softball team your city softball team was semi-pro, right? So the, like Mr. Burns in the classic Simpsons episode, you would go out and you would get ringers. You would claim in the case of Babe that she was a secretary, but she was really there to play for your basketball team or your track and field team or your football team for the guys, whatever. And there were national tournaments. That made the news. I mean, there wasn't a, a March Madness. There wasn't an NCAA, or there was, but it didn't have nearly the power. And that's what happened after World War II. Now, let's go back to it real quick. The reason why this is important for Babe is that's where she first made her name was in AAU ball. We've completely forgotten about this history because this is conspiracist Oz talking now, because the narrative is controlled by your bigger powers. Right in America, in Canada, you think of baseball, you think of Major League First, right? You think of football, you think of the NFL, maybe the CFL if you're cool first, right? You think of hockey, it's the NHL. If you're in Canada, yeah, the uh, IHL, I think it is, is very big. You know, it's a semi pro, it's like a triple A, it's a very big deal. Uh, international hockey, of course, is huge. Um, same thing if you're in Europe, you know, if you're in Europe, you think of uh, football, you're thinking of whatever the big league in your country is, Bundesliga, Premiership, whatever, and the Champions League, right? This is the way to think of things, but there's this whole infrastructure everywhere of these local teams. Now, she played for Casualty Insurance out of Beaumont, Texas, <laughs> and all they did was win three AAU titles. Right, or at least she was in three AAU championships. I think they won two, 1930, 1931, 1932. Okay, the reason why we forget about that is we just don't think about the AAU, right? That's not there. Look for that online. You could probably find the champions, but you can't find much more for that. Okay, all right. Next, <laughs> she goes to the 1932 Olympics. Now, now the big mythology about her here is that. Um, the owner or the, I guess, the sports manager at, at uh, employer's casualty, right? Imagine having at an insurance company now a sports coach. But anyway, so they have a sports coach there. And, you know, it's the off season. So he calls Babe into the office, right, as she's working at her desk. For those who can't see, because this is a podcast, I'm making air quotes. Uh, <laughs> and Thank and you for verbalizing your air quotes. Yeah, of course you need. I don't like air quotes, but sometimes there is a need for them. And so, you know, he calls her in and he's like, so uh, what are you going to do now that basketball season's not on? She goes, I don't know. And he says, here, let me take you to a track and field team. And literally, I mean, this is the mythology of Babe Didrikson. You know, Babe, Babe Didrikson transcends history. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this a little bit later, where fiction and nonfiction meet, right? Where history and story blend together. And the story is that, you know, for example, you know, it's a kind of thing like Jim Corp, 
where he sees the record at Carlisle Indian School. He breaks it in his first try. It's that kind of thing. She picks up the javelin. You know, perfect. You know, she she knows how to do it. And as we'll see with golf, same kind of thing with golf. Um, she's just a natural athlete, right? So she knows how to do it. Now, again, at the 32 Olympics, the trials for this, okay, doubled as the AAU track and field championships. Okay, now, Faith has many, many, many achievements in her career. Coming back from cancer and crushing it at a golf open is among them. Okay, but <laughs> it's really, really hard not to talk about the 1932 AAU championships slash U.S. Olympic team trials because she is a one-woman team for employers casually. Because again, it's not college teams. It's, you know, professional teams. It's, it's professional interests controlling this team. She is a one-woman team, okay? She participates in, I want to say, eight events, medals in six, wins the competition as a one-woman team, okay? Her team wins, okay? Is that think good? She's, do you think she's going to be on the U.S. Olympic team? Do you think this puts her on the front page of every paper? Yep. I mean, imagine somebody doing – I mean, this wouldn't even happen nowadays at an NCAA – at the NCAA track and field trials. Nobody does this. It just doesn't happen. You don't do this. Again, it's comparable to Thorpe. I, I'm going to try and stay on subject, but it's comparable to Thorpe. Thorpe is at the Decathlon in the 1912 Olympics, and he's winning five events. You know, because all you have to do in the Decathlon is score really high in each event. You don't have to win any, and you can still take the goal. But he's winning events. Same thing with Faith. I mean, she's winning outright five golds and a silver at the trials by herself. <laughs> you know, just fantastic. I mean, they're describing both the guy I talked to at the museum and some newspaper accounts where she's sprinting from event to event so she can make them all. You know, just beautiful. Just as, as somebody who's into crossover athletes, greatest of all time, athletes. I mean, Davis won. Even, even her logistics between events is amazing. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's, I mean, it's, it's out of hand. It, it's, uh, it's incomparable to anything today. Today, you can't even have a Bo Jackson. You know, you can't even have a, a two-sport crossover. And let me tell you, I'll get a pure here. I was talking with somebody from Ireland about hurling, okay, which is this Irish game, which is kind of like field hockey, but a lot more lethal. And in Ireland, they have this, they have this storied history of the dual athlete, right? Because you're awesome at that. And you're awesome at Gaelic football which is sort of like in that soccer, rugby, American football line, right? It's a game like that, right? And, you know, through history, they've had these guys, right? But guess what? Those guys don't exist anymore. It is so impossible to play multiple sports, which is why somebody like Dave Dickerson should be a lot more celebrated and at least remembered, you know, for what she did. Because, again, that's basically an extinct species it's a smaller world the sports are less complicated and the key thing is is the infrastructure is less complicated look there's no reason why nfl teams need to play 17 games then i have all these playoffs because now every team makes the playoffs except for detroit every team makes the playoffs in here <laughs> you know it's like why are you doing this why are you that's part of it um, the demands of the lower levels of these sports, that's part of it. And just the complexity of these games. Again, this is my overriding philosophy is we live in a golden age of sports. In fact, I fear that we are coming out of it because it's, we take for granted the amazing complexity of these sports. Football is a brilliant example. Hockey is a great example. You know, just requiring this equipment and the travel and the coaching 
and the in hockey substitutions and in soccer transfers and just development program i mean we take this all for granted right but it wasn't always like this there used to be a time when uh you know babe could say okay i'm a professional athlete but all of my sports are off right now let's go do some exhibition baseball <laughs> you know i mean in in some ways that's inferior because, you know, of course, now we have TV, so we can see the best. We have access to the best. And I'm a big believer in always watching the best. It's true. But sometimes it's nice to go out there and see a game. You know, and it's wild. This this whole performative art in sports is gone. You know, the wackiness is gone in professional sport. You know, and you can still kind of sort of get that in minor league in minor leagues but certainly not in college you know you're not going to have weird mascots and 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 shows and 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 you know just stuff that made the game interesting you're not going to have a once in a lifetime experience for example some guy comes through your town some dude you know who's an all-star you know who's a barnstormer you know which we have completely forgotten about in our age because it's completely alien to us and so thousands of players in a dozen sports are lost to us and these were great players you know um and and, and this is just lost and sort of the fact that this barnstorming option doesn't exist um you know the fact that everybody aspires to only the top leagues that's your only answer um this prohibits dual players this prohibits uh multi-sport stars look they were just making a big deal i mean like this this is an example it can still happen they were just making a big deal in the olympics because i was one of like the 12 people in the world who were into the olympics this year uh who played for usa baseball and he was also in the winter Olympics. And he meddled in both, you know, and so like that's super dope. Great, yeah. dude. Great. I mean, that's because that's hard to do these days. Even track and field at a university, they make you like practice and stuff. You know, it's like I don't want to go Iverson, but clearly Bo Jackson didn't need to practice. You know, Babe Didrickson didn't need to practice much, you know, in track and field. You know, track and field. I mean, everybody can run. What do you need to practice? But there you go. Not too fine a point on it, but uh, just because it's maybe harder to do today because of the world doesn't mean it was easy to do back mm -hmm. in time, right? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's this very interesting argument where it's like, um, you know, they say that you know, like one of the arguments of why modern ball play, let, let's say baseball, you, you can even take golf, but really anything. One of the reasons why modern ball players are better is because travel is easier. And I'm like, really? Is that really so? Right? Because maybe there's something to be said for if you're the Chicago Cubs, you know, going to Boston by train, having a couple of days off, playing them like six times in a row, maybe a couple of double headers in there, and then going on to New York. I mean, maybe there's something to be, maybe there's something to be said for slowness, you know, as, as Milan Kundera put it in, in the book of the same name. You know, maybe there's something to be said for that. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily think airplanes are an advantage. I mean, there's got to be ball players who are afraid of flying, right? And that's got to affect their game. <laughs> so, just for example, I mean, you know, I, just because it's modern doesn't mean it's better. You know, there's something to be said for the Negro League ball players who had to barnstorm, you know, 200 games. A year. There's something to be said for that. You know, there's something to be said about the natural raw talent of being able to, no matter what the circumstances, just perform well here's the thing okay you go 
Oh yeah, I'm gonna go back to the. I'm gonna go back to 1916 and crush it at the Olympics. Yeah, okay, go for it. Let's see how you do with no training, right? Probably not very good food most places, no vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. Go for it, dude, go for it, okay? Now, I also believe that there are some people who can transcend errors, okay? Lou Gehrig, Lou Gehrig could probably play today. Jesus, especially if he has the training and stuff, you know? Now, Babe Ruth is a bit of a physical freak, so, you know, with the huge-ass chest and the little stubby girly legs, as they said on Seinfeld, um, you know. I mean, so you might have to work with him, but somebody like Lou Gehrig, Lou Gehrig goes forward in time. He's fine. You know, uh, Derek G goes back in time. He's fine. But baseball, baseball is an exception, so we shouldn't be too hard and loose with this one. And also, I would say golf, too problem because in these games there are very 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 special skills required right in baseball especially it's reflexes you know it's eyesight eyesight is so key in baseball you can be blind and play defensive linemen in football <laughs> you know you can be legally blind and play that sure I mean, but Jesus in baseball, I mean, it helps if you're 2016, like Ted Williams, you know, you, you want to be able to see that ball coming to you, right? And that's, you know, that's a non-transferable skill. You know, I think that goes across time. And I think with golf too, golf is so much about precision. You know, it, it's just about doing that same thing again and again and again. And to bring it full circle, let's talk about Babe, okay? Because she got into a kerfuffle after the 32 Olympics. And again, she wanted to get into golf, right? She had just discovered this new game called golf. And of course, you know, here again, right? There's this, there's this story that she tells in her autobiography, which we're not too sure is 100% true, but this is the way she saw it, where literally, She's uh, after the Olympics because Glenn, Grantland Rice, of course, was covering those Olympics. And what Grantland Rice said, American sports fans paid attention to. And so he was covering her in the Olympics. And he's like, he's the one that first called her the Wonder Girl, which was her nickname for a while, the Wonder Girl. And he challenged her at one point. He's like, hey, you want to play golf? You know, I got me and a couple other sports writers. And uh, you want to play? And so as she told the story, and this was in Los Angeles, right? So home turf, whatever. And so what, how she told the story is she, she pulled another pro within the club, pulls him aside and says, look, man, I got to play these, you know, these journalists. And I just don't want to look bad. So teach me the basics. <laughs> so he takes her upstairs. They mess around by her account for about 20 minutes. And then she goes out there. And then you can switch to the Grantland Rice article because he devoted one of his weekly columns to her and this incident, the golf game with her. And, you know, he's describing her as, for example, on the very first tee off, she outdoes all those guys. Now, again, ostensibly, this is her first game. Okay. It's realistically, it's probably not. But also, realistically, it could very well be her first serious game. I mean, again, this is a girl who, in 1932, didn't know, in 1931, let's say, didn't know what a javelin was. Okay? So, it's totally believable that she's not that into golf. You know, I mean, she grew up a poor kid in Beaumont, right? right? So, you know, in any case, she does well enough in this game. You know, her and her partner win. You know, Grantland loses. <laughs> Grantland and his partner loses. And, uh, you know, and, and it goes from there. From there, she had the book. Okay. Now, you're a golf guy. So, you know, I've heard this from other golf guys. You know, sometimes that happens. You know, the first time you play, you fall in love. Fall in love with this work. Yeah. And so her thing was she wanted to be a pro. Okay. Well, she wanted to play golf. Okay. But when she went on the amateur tour, 
they called rough. You know, she won, she crushed in a couple of these in Texas and Oklahoma and whatnot. You know, but then they called rough because they're like, look, you did this advertisement, you know, so many years ago. Whatever. Okay. So it gets a little hazy there, but that's when she gets into the barnstorming stuff. Uh, she's pitching for a, one of the great barnstorming teams called House of David, you know, which is a, a lot of Orthodox Jews, um, very Orthodox Jews, uh, very good athletes, and she's pitching for them. And she kind of does this thing where, you know, they're going around town to town, literally 200 days, 200 games kind of thing. So they're going around from town to town, you know, basically west of the Mississippi, all the places that don't have Major League Baseball or even Pacific Coast League Baseball or Southern Association Baseball. They don't have any of that stuff, right? So they're going around to there. And her gig is, is that basically she comes in, throws one or two innings, and then trucks on to the next town on her own. And then the guys catch up with her and then they do the next game. And, you know, it's all a promotional thing. But the point is, is that she's facing off against the best amateur male athletes in the country doing this. Um, she also does a thing where, in the meantime, she does... I forget where it was. It was in a big city. It was Chicago or New York. One of the two. She does this very bizarre. Right. Yeah, she does this very bizarre vaudeville. It's almost post-vaudeville because at this point, the movies are starting to eclipse vaudeville. So it's almost like this post-vaudeville act where she uh, plays the harmonica and they do this race where it's like her and this Patsy and they're both on treadmills. And they do this thing where they push her treadmill forward a little bit so she breaks the tape. And then she does a little comedy routine. And she's playing off this guy who's impersonating Jimmy Durante and all this stuff. But while she's doing this, she's going, I want to play golf. I want to play golf. I want to play golf. Right. And so finally, her husband, who she had met at like a charity uh, game, a charity game, which the press really had fun with because her would be, her soon to be husband, George Zaharias was a professional wrestler and of some repute. He was like, his nickname was the Greek from Cripple Creek, right? He wasn't from Cripple Creek, Michigan, but hey, it rhymed. Uh, he was from a, a, a town in Michigan near there. But, and so she met this guy, you know, they hit it off, you know, they had a lot of fun on the celebrity tournament and they started dating and, you know, they got married very quickly because hey, you know, they they can do it. You know, they can afford it. You know, so they do it. Uh, go on a honeymoon and stuff like that. And eventually, George says to her, he's like, look, why don't you just form a league? And why don't you just form your own association? Because the other thing she tried to do is she tried to play on the men's tour. You know, she signed up. She's going to play an event. I think it was Dallas Open, I want to say. I don't know if that's true, but I don't know if that's correct, I should say. It is now. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I don't necessarily endorse that viewpoint. Uh, and uh, they wouldn't let her. They wouldn't let her, you know, doing the thing where, you know, golf is has always been for men only and blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, she started the freaking LBGA. I mean, that's Babe's thing, right? I mean, you know, she wasn't alone, of course, you know, these things really, we always want to say it's one person you know, did alone, but of course, you know, there's there's a few other people involved with setting it up and whatnot, but, but basically it's her impetus. There was no professional women's golf before that, and that's why we forget a lot of Babe's early golf achievements. Now, you want to tell me, I bet you can guess, okay, you're a golf guy, do you know the old system of scoring golf. You know how they used to play tournaments? I don't. Well, it's 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 brackets. Oh. Right? So it's player against player. So you go back and you look mm -hmm. at these write-ups, and they'll describe the action and stuff. Not much because it's women's sports, right? And women's sports are not getting much media. So they'll give you a couple of paragraphs, but then you look at the scores, and it's plus nine. You know, it's like Babe wins by nine strokes. You know, and it's like, <laughs> and it's like, so I think my theory is that, yes, it's on record, the titles that she won. But I think that that kind of obfuscates what she did. 
right? Because we're keeping score in a different way. Okay, imagine if, for example, just a simple thing can put people off of it. Imagine, for example, like you went back and in the 50s in the NBA, the St. Louis Hawks, George Mikan, right? His St. Louis Hawks, instead of winning games like 50 to 46, they're winning like plus four. We might not even talk about that today, you know, because we just can't relate to it. We can't translate it. We can't compare it. And I really think a lot of the reason is that is just that golf was treated differently in those days. You know, it was just a different mentality. I mean, again, you know, we take it for granted. Baseball begins in like eight professional baseball begins in 1869. Professional football begins in 1920, et cetera, et cetera. Professional women's golf is starting in like the 40s. You know, again, people are alive who remember that. <laughs> that's how new it is. So I think that works against her. You know, I think being a pioneer in these arguments of goats always works against you. You, you never take seriously the guy from 1894, writ 438. You know, even if it's against major league pitching, you don't take it seriously. It's too long ago. I mean, I see this happening now in the older sports where now they're starting to take, uh, they're not, they're, they're not taking seriously, you know, guys like Walter Johnson, you know, who only is, one of two pitchers who threw over 400 games, uh, over 400 wins. You know, the only reason why I remember Cy Young, I swear to God, is because he's on the trophy. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're starting to throw away these older era players. And I think Babe is a victim of it. As, as I always believe in, I believe that there's got to be this grand unifying statistic of domination. Okay. I want like, like, okay. One of my principles of the goats is, is number one, it's called the Will Chamberlain. And I forget where I got this. And I wish I could credit this person because I quote this all the time. It's like, okay, people nowadays want to go, oh yeah, Will Chamberlain scored a hundred points, but he was playing a bunch of guys who were six, six. And, you know, he was so awesome. And blah, blah. it's like, look, it doesn't matter who you're playing. A hundred points is a lot of freaking points. Okay. Babe Didrikson's a Harry's in an era when there were far, far fewer women's openings than there are now is still top five most uh, open championship wins, male or female all time okay that's a dominant statistic okay again it doesn't matter who she's playing it doesn't matter how big the field is that's a lot of freaking wins against the top competition at least in the u.s and you know she's winning the british open she's the first american to win the british open for example you know i mean she, it's not like it's just here I mean, in a lot of ways, she's the first international, really, truly international women's sports star. I mean, there's a few others from the Olympics a couple of years before her. Kinyui uh, uh, Hitomi of Japan in 1928 was quite the international star in track and field from Japan. But, I mean, here's Babe Didrikson first crushing it at the Olympics in 32 where she won two golds and a silver on a technicality that silver was, by the way. Uh, and then, you know, she goes to golf, which at this point in history, the world is really starting to go gaga. This is golf's big explosion period is thirties, forties, fifties. And so she's just, she's just getting into it at the right time. But again, going back to dominate against the world like this, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter when you're playing again. You want to go back to Cy Young, 511 wins is a lot of wins. That's a lot of wins, dude. He was pretty good. 
you know? I mean, Barry Bonds may have been on drugs, but he hit a lot of home runs. Well, that still kind of counts. I don't know how you feel about drugs. That still kind of counts. You know, it's a lot of home yeah. runs. Can't argue right. with that. Baseball and cricket, especially, are so statistical. But in a way, golf really is too, right? I mean, there's not that many opportunities to make stats in golf. So you basically have everything covered, right? Yards to the hole. You can now calculate yards per drive. You know, you get success rate on putts. I mean, there's not that many opportunities for statistics. So golf is pretty well covered. But as, as you know, like we say in, in sports history, basically the two sports that are kings of this are baseball and cricket, right? Those are the rulers. Because not only do you have tons of stats, you can make new stats all the time. I mean, Jesus, people don't, people now, kids these days, they don't realize this. But saves, saves in baseball were a stat created by Rolaids and Acid as a, as a commercial promotion you know it was created they made it up and it's like but you can do That's that incredible. in some sports you can do that with baseball oh yeah see you guys are young guys but yeah they had this whole run of commercials where it was like how do you spell relief that was the tagline and then you know some relief pitcher would come on and go r-o-l-a-i-d-s right see how i can do that this is how they program you man. this is how they get you <laughs> i can do that on the it's been like 40 years that I could still do it. Right. But yeah, but we're not, we're not sponsored by Rolaids. We should go ahead and yeah. right now. Yet. Oh my God. Rolaids. Do they even have an ad budget these days? And so, and so, and so literally, but, but baseball and cricket, and maybe there might be some others. Those are really the kings of that, where you can just create new stats. I mean, the, the thing is, this is where, um, the autobiography of Babe Didrich and Saharius, and it has a very generic title, I believe it's This Life That I Have Led, uh, is in the public domain. Okay, it's available in a few places. It's available on trulythegoods.com slash babe bio if you would like to download it and read it for free. But this is the part Check it out. of her biography. You would actually like this. This is the part of her biography that gets very arcane because now that there is this pro golf tour for women, She's able to make money at it. And so she goes on tour and she kicks everybody's ass repeatedly. Okay. So it's funny because in her autobiography, then it's like 80 pages just describing the minutiae of these matches, you know, that she's in. And it, for a golf fan, it must be amazing. Now I'm going to do the uh, full disclosure here. I'm not much of a golf fan myself. Uh, I'm, I'm more into Babe for the you know total sports package for the goat package you know the generational kind of stuff the once in a century kind of stuff but <laughs> you know so so the golf fans will really like this part of the bio so it's basically a lot of winning and actually it kind of shows you that in a non-team sport somebody being really dominant is kind of boring and so you know it's win 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 you know, it's fun and, and the details are nice for golf fans and stuff like that. But so yeah, so so then in the mid forties, so you know we're talking like post war period, forty five, forty six, this this area. She she's yeah, making the cut. She's making the cut at a PGA tournament. But you know, again, they're not letting her play on that. You know, they're given the gentleman's reason. You know, I mean, you know, again, this is the same reason they're going to keep using for 20, 30, 40 more years to keep black and Jewish folks out too, by the way. But, but I mean, basically, I mean, she's so good, you know, that no woman amateur can answer to. So, so, yeah, and then, you know, I mean, just added on to the legacy of winning in 1950, she takes the Grand Slam. That's only three events as opposed to the four events it is today, even on the LPGA. Um, and she's the first one to do that. Right? So, again, like, pioneer. Pioneer. If there was a fourth, she would have won it. <laughs> well, well, you have to suspect so. I mean, 
Jesus. I mean, I mean, again, this is, you know, this is Jack Nicholas. This is Tiger Woods in their heyday. You know, this is pick your dominant player in an individual sport. But really, um, the most remarkable part of her career is, of course, you know, the most tragic. Because in, I believe it's 1954, you know, she's still doing tours. But finishing in third, finishing in seventh. And, you know, she's complaining of fatigue, you know, very tired all the time, etc. So goes to the doctor, has some kind of ailment, gets surgery, fine, goes back on tour, starts happening again. And then, yeah, sure enough, it turns out she has cancer. Okay. So now again, again, this is the 50s. Okay. So, you know, we have vaccines, but as you may know, there's still no cure for cancer. And uh, technology is 70 years worse than it is now. That's three generations of technology at least. So she's in the hospital, you know, and she has the operation. And in those days, cancer operation is cut, cut, cut. Let's cut out that piece of it, right? Let's just cut that bit out. There's no chemo or anything like that, which is actually maybe a plus. You know, we were talking about past versus present, you know, maybe that was a plus, no chemo, because in six or seven months, she was out of the hospital, and in January 54, she's back on the tour. And in her very first tournament, she's winning by 12 stroke. And, you know, <laughs> like, like, again, this is after the 32 Olympics. I mean, this is, you know, again, this is Serena Williams kind of stuff. You know, this is, you almost died. And within a few months, you know, you're winning. You're winning world-class level tournaments here. And so to a lot of people, this is her greatest achievement. It's just being able to come back, play on that pro level after a cancer operation in the 50s and, and coming back and playing. And so, and really, you know, that's as, the older you get, you know, the more you admire this kind of thing, you know. Uh, of course, you get older and more of your friends pass away and, you know, you, you kind of learn your own mortality. And, and just to do this, I mean, this becomes a, almost a grander achievement than, you know, dominating the 32 AAUs or the 32 Olympics. You know, this is life stuff on top of the athletic achievement. And, uh, you know, uh, this was, if this were a proper movie, uh, this would probably be your Daniel Ball, right? Her on the comeback tournament after the cancer operation, after willing herself to get out of bed. You know, it, the legend is, you know, that uh, she was in the hospital and she kept a golf bag in the corner and, you know, just kind of looking at that every day and, keeping her eyes on the prize and you know she's texting awesome. so very very religious so you know she's doing a lot of praying doing a lot of bargaining with god you know to be brutally honest you know please let me play again i just want to play again you know, that kind of stuff and you know gets out there in january 54 and wins it in texas state and uh, you know to be uh to make a not very long story even shorter um, you know, the next year she gives in, you know, uh, again, uh, the cancer comes back. It's bad enough to take her off the tour and she never played again. She, she had enough time to dictate her autobiography, which is a lot of how I know. So, um, but, and, um, when I was doing the truly Goat show, I was fortunate enough to talk to a man named Colonel W.L. Pate Jr. Stop me if this sounds too Texan for you. And, uh, who is now the... Uh, the Hall of Fame of Texan names. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's in there. He's in there. Junior. Junior. Yeah, he's junior, right? Because he always says his dad was the Colonel Pate. He's just a Colonel Pate, right? You know, I mean, it's like, you can't. You can't make this stuff up, as he said to me. 
you can't make this stuff up. So, you know, as he told me, you know, for him as just director of the Babe Didrikson uh, Museum and Beaumont Visitor Center, I believe it's one establishment now, um, one of the biggest thrills in his life was that beginning in 2020, and they still pulled it off despite the pandemic, the Babe Didrikson's area is open, now exists again. It's now a, a thing on the tour again. Uh, this was created way back in the day when she first started the LPGA. Uh, and, and then, it, of course, it went off in, in the late 50s, early 60s. And, uh, but now it's back. And, and, you know, this guy, you know, here he is. He's this hardened Marine guy, right, this colonel. And I could hear him, like, kind of losing it a little bit on the phone, you know, because he's told it a few times before, so he's not going to break down. But then after he told me this, he's like, yeah, you know, I cried when I first heard that was going to happen. And, you know, usually us Army guys, us Marine guys, we only cry when we talk about a battle or something. <laughs> so it's just like, so again, really great that at very, very least we get this monument uh, of her name on the tournament. And perhaps some people will learn the story because Dave's career feels like a could have you know there's so many could haves here like look what one of the one of the things about her is is guess what I mean okay everybody knows about this a league of their own right all of a sudden now everybody's after that movie everybody was born again about the all-american professional girls baseball league even though we had forgotten about it for like you know 20 years or whatever 30 years ago um why, how come Babe didn't play for that? Well, she just missed it. You know, I mean, she just missed, you know, it was after her time. You know, and and, and so it's like timing. <laughs> timing is everything, right? I mean, again, if this if this woman is born, although that's kind of a trap. You you want to say if this woman is born 10 years later, I mean she's we still remember her today. But on the other hand, and, and this is one thing Babe even mentions in her autobiography, is this. One of the things that we forget in history, again, because certain other interests are controlling the narrative of sports history. One of the things that we forget is that, um, hang on a sec. Right. Hang on, where did I start this thing? See, I've had too much of this. It's doing its job. Fucking screwdriver. That's amazing. No, I'm on the good stuff now. Okay, so. Oh, see, one of the things that she said in her autobiography, and this is one of the things that we forget because, you know, certain interests now control the narrative of sports history, is that, you know, guess what? In the, in the 30s and 40s, especially after the New Deal came in, this was actually a secret golden age of women's sports. Because of the AAU, because of, you know, the New Deal, certain programs in the New Deal, women's sports were everywhere all of a sudden. There were all kinds of outlets for Babe Didrikson and the others. And in fact, in the 50s, in the mid-50s, when she's dictating, co-writing her autobiography, she talks about this. She talks about how few opportunities there are for women to play sports because in the 50s, there was this changeover to women should only play sports if they must that are more feminine. You know, so like tennis is acceptable. I'd, I'm not sure if it's integrated at this point, which is a whole other can of worms, but tennis is acceptable. Golf. But basketball, I don't know. <laughs> That's not very woman, right? And certainly nothing that requires like, you know, weight training. Certainly no boxing, karate, judo, weightlifting, none of that. You know, they weren't playing. And, and she laments this. She says the only things that people uh, prescribe nowadays are the girly sports. <laughs> you know, sports that she didn't think were tough enough 
you know, which says something not only about bait, but about the kind of opportunities that, you know, women who wanted to play sports had in the 20s and 30s and 40s. And we forget this now. And, and it's not our fault. It's because, again, like certain uh, big uh, interests control the narrative. Seriously, there isn't much of a question. I may have a nominee, but there isn't much of a question that she's the greatest female athlete of all time. Okay. And, and for me, who hates using that expression, I can use it here because women's sports have been so devalued for so much of humanity's history that I can safely say this, but literally, she's the greatest female athlete of all time. The only question is, is whether she's the greatest athlete of all time. Seriously. Okay. Um, we're going to get you out of here on this. So of all the historical babes, Babe Didrikson, Zaharias, Babe Ruth, Babe the Pig, how, yeah, exactly. Give me your your top three in terms of goatness. Give, give me the top three in order. Oh my god, babe rankings. Oh my god, you're evil. This is evil. Well, obviously, babe, I, I'm in, transcended I'm in, species. So. I'm in no shape to do this. <laughs> Come on now. I mean. I mean, clearly it's Ruth one, Saharia's two. And I only say Ruth one because, I mean, he's really the greatest baseball player of all time, right? I mean, I talk about dominant statistic a lot. And, and you know, just, I mean, the, the fact that this guy was a top five pitcher and top two home run hitter of all time. I mean, that's it. That's it. I mean, that's, I don't know how anybody in baseball is going to do better than him. And my home team is the Anaheim Angels. Okay. We've got Otani over. Okay. Mm -hmm. Otani, as awesome as he is, is no Babe Ruth. Okay. So I got to put Babe first. And then uh, Didrikson second. But third, I don't know. Your girlfriend, you know, <laughs> whoever in your life, whoever in your life, not you personally, whoever in one's life, you're calling babe right now. That was the ladies. All right. There you go. I love it. There you have it. That is the story. And these are the Lynx stories. Was it 100% accurate? Yeah. That sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at The Link Stories. Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcast Network at The Stories Pods on Twitter as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly. But I've got to ask the question, uh, you know, what's what's the over under you think that Babe actually was a time traveler? <laughs> Somehow found herself in a time where she could like, well, I can roll all these sports and women should be more integrated. And what's wrong with you? And, you know, even her her undoing by cancer. Maybe she brought her cell phone with her. I don't know. I'm just, you know. Well. She didn't have all the advantages. Uh that we do nowadays either. I mean, you know, I guess kind of another thing, I keep coming back to this, but kind of another thing we take for granted in these days is how much athletes make and also how venerated they are. You know, I mean, uh, I talked about this on another podcast, but Jesus, if you want to know why the 1919 White Sox threw the World Series, it's because they were making wages that they had to get another job. Cover. You know, you're coming I mean, from the 23rd century and you can right. buy a gallon of milk for a penny. You're like, this is great. Yeah, but I don't need more money. This is fine. Right. But but see, OK, here's the thing. Uh, for example, one of the uh, sad bits 
let's say, of Babe's life. Because, again, this would not make a great Hollywood movie because there's very little conflict here, except when the, the uh, NCAA says she's not an amateur. But, um, you know, one of the sad points of her life is she and her husband, despite the fact that they had, you know, a pretty decent amount of money, were denied uh, adopting children. Right now, nowadays, of course, and you know, I brought this up when I was interviewing um, the 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 you know museum director, and and you know because to us this is like wait a minute, you know, they got tons of money, blah blah, but no, but no, in those days they would be rejected because they travel too much, you know, professional wrestling isn't exactly a respectable profession. I mean, no joke, no joke. I mean, this is what they were telling them. Uh, nowadays, an electable profession. Yeah, I mean, nowadays, take your pick. Imagine a professional wrestler and Michelle Wee, you know, trying to adopt a child. Do you think they would? <laughs> they try and give them six. They'll get a reality you know? show. But, but yeah. So, so the time travel angle's out. Unfortunately, it's a good try, Rich. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Well, again, like, like, like my belief, my belief, we talked about this before. My belief is that I believe that the skills in golf are transferable. Okay. So she would be better off coming forward a century, doing some muscle toning and totally kicking ass. I mean, you know, doing a mixed doubles with Tiger Woods. It'd be awesome. Maybe unstoppable. Maybe a. We'll see what the boys out at Area 51 can cook up. <laughs> Word up. I'm a oh, huge science man. fiction fan, so I'm totally down with this concept. Totally down with this concept. So um, you mentioned two names there from the male game. And uh, since you're the, the king of the goats, uh, if you had to choose one of those to Jack or Tiger as the goat of the men's game, who would you choose? Or a dark horse that has not been mentioned. That's rough. You know, that's rough because I'm not that big on golf. And plus you, you kind of tend to get stuck in these guys. I mean, it means a lot if you're there, you know, at the time, like, okay. The classic argument, at least right now, I shouldn't say classic. The, the main argument right now in GOATdom, okay, is uh, because everybody's convinced that Tom Brady is the GOAT NFL player. But so the argument in GOAT right now is Jordan versus LeBron. Okay. Sure. Now, all right. I'm a Lakers fan. Okay. So this is making it very hard for me. All right. LeBron just keeps doing stuff that makes his record look better and better and better and better but you're never going to convince me that he's better than jordan because i saw jordan i saw jordan happen i saw jordan playing on the dream team the greatest sports team in any sport i don't care shut up i don't want to talk about it okay and so there's kind of that element you know when i was a kid even though, you know, golf came on the TV like eight times a year, uh, Nicholas was the legend. And it seemed like, I know it's not so, but it seemed like every time he was on, he was doing something special. Now, I admit it, Tiger was the same. He was the same because, I mean, literally, he was the guy that people who couldn't give up about golf would watch golf, you know, or at least would want to know how he did. You know, it's kind of like Joe DiMaggio back in the day. You always want to know how he did, right? How, how was he in that? You know, did he win? And of course, the gambling lines were ridiculous on Tiger Woods. You know, he's starting tournaments at one to twenty. You know, minus ten fifty in today's parlance. Um, you know, so so it's hard for me to judge that. I think you know, Babe, unquestionably. I don't know how anybody on the women's side is going to approach her, but I'm happy with having, uh, you know, Tiger and Jack on my all-time Ryder Cup team. 
It's a nice strategic political creative. <laughs> right. That's the diplomatic answer. That's there the you go. Answer. Love it. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.